Father, we're grateful for this day and uh, grateful for uh, the pleasure that we have of being called your children. Uh, and because of that, we're connected um, all over this country, all over this world with uh, believers that we don't even know. Um, and yet, uh, not knowing them, we know that we have a relationship because of our position in Christ that, that uh, when we get there, <laughs> we'll, we'll certainly know uh, each other, uh, even as you know us. And so we're, we're so grateful uh, for the, the privilege that we have of being at your right hand. Uh, we remember uh, the Spurbeck family as well as those other families there in Oregon that are uh, now uh, grieving the loss of Dale. Uh, and we just pray that you would provide strength to, to Sandy, uh, strength to those other professors there with Pastor Dave and, and Chris um, and even Pascal has stepped in now to, to help out in teaching. Uh, and just vision uh, for the future as to uh, how they should proceed forward. Um, we're so grateful for the many years of service that you provided uh, Dale on this earth and the many lives that he impacted uh, through his teaching and, and submission to your word. Uh, we pray tonight as we enter into this study that um, uh, we would uh, just be able to continue to appreciate all the things that we have in Christ um, and the benefits that that provides to our lives. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. All right. And so we left off on uh, point D, I believe, on page 10. That's what I have marked. Um, normally I'd have to ask you guys, but I think I <laughs> remember to mark it this time. All right. <laughs> and so we're looking at the doctrines. Uh, the doctrine of God, excuse me, of God's reckoning with the believer in Christ. And so uh, remember this whole uh, section is, is taking time out to look at, at reckoning and what that means. Um, and so this, this thought process in the mind of God that we can count to be so uh, for ourselves is very important. Uh, and so as you look at uh, the aspects of God's nature uh, and his divine counsel, those are two important things to look at when you consider this idea of reckoning, right? And so, first of all, think of God's attribute of omniscience. And so if you've, again, been through our uh, theology classes here, you've learned over the course of time uh, these different qualities that are ascribed to God, right? And so his attribute of omniscience is God's inexhaustible knowledge, allowing him to know all things in a single act without learning or coming to know. So God is not like us, right? Obviously, <laughs> we, we have to learn things. We read books. We, we get taught in classes. All of these things are mechanisms to helping us to understand and to know. God doesn't do that. Right? His knowledge is complete and it's inexhaustible. He doesn't have to uh, come to know anything. So when we're talking about God reckoning something to be so, it's from that base that he has of, of knowledge, right? That he doesn't have to learn from our behavior in order to count something to be so. The reality of the provisions of the believer's position does not have to happen in life uh, in the life of the believer to be understood by God. Uh, and so the other thing we want to look at is about God's nature uh, and looking at his overall nature. There's four parts to his nature, and one of those is freedom, right? And people will call this different things. They'll talk about it uh, in 
Uh, what's the term I'm looking for here? The most sovereignty. Yes. People will say that God is sovereign. Well, God only has to be sovereign where there's creation, right? If there are no created beings, the person of persons of the Godhead are equal. And so it's not sovereignty. Sovereignty is just in relationship to creation between the persons of the Godhead. And as we think about this past humans and past creation, there is freedom. They are free to act of their own will and volition. And so as you look at the definition that I provide there, God's prerogative to act in complete uh, accordance with the other aspects of his nature without compulsion from without. And so there is nothing compelling God to act in any kind of way other than uh, his, his divine nature. And so none of the occurrences within God's creation can shape his views on anything. And so when you think about the fact that God uh, calls those things which aren't as though they are, you have to think about God and that he is completely free right, to do so. And the concept of eternality and time should also be considered and that God exists outside of time and is not subject to seeing things in sequence of time as man does. Now, this is a foreign uh, subject to us, right? We were born <laughs> and we see everything through the aspects of life and death, right? This thing happens, this thing happens, this thing happens, and then you die. You even see it in scripture. You go and read any of those long uh, 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 lineages and what happens? This man lived such and such an amount of years and he died. <laughs> and then it gets boring sometimes if you want to sleep, maybe go and read some of those lineages. But that's how we see things. God exists outside of time. And so he doesn't have to wait on this event and this event and this event to happen in order to understand. And God is able to see things in eternity that have not taken place yet in time. And that's certainly a foreign concept to you and I. Right. He sees everything as a, a completed action while we're waiting for these things all to take place. Now, you also would need to consider the uh, immutability of the divine counsel. And so as you think about God having determined things that will take place. Now, God allows for certain things to to take place, but it's all within those things that he has determined. Right. And so as you think about it, he gives you the option and gives you some latitude. We talked about uh, God marking off the bounds around the lives of, of individual believers. And uh, hold on a minute. If we uh, popped over here really quickly. And uh, you said, I'm going to use X's. This is the believer. You or I. Uh, and this is our life. Well, no, it doesn't. I'm going to take that away. That's going to mess up my, <laughs> my visual. Um, so let's put some boundaries around the believer's life. And this is where God has marked off the bounds. So if you were to step outside here, this is unsaved or really terrible writing. I'm sorry. Condemned. But within these borders are your salvation. God will allow for you to make different decisions within these borders. Right. That don't put you out here and unsaved is a bad one because it's. Uh, you could be unsaved within this time frame until he calls you to salvation. But he's not going to let you go too far outside of these boundaries to where you're going to be condemned with the world. And that would align more with scripture of my uh, 
uh, illustration that I'm trying to put up there. And so as you think about it, within his divine counsel, also, it works similarly that there are certain things that are just going to take place. Right. He'll allow some latitude for different decisions of man. But within the boundaries of what he says is going to take place, there are certain things that just have to happen. Right. They're, they're not, he's not going to let those not happen. Go with me back to the Old Testament and we see this stated pretty clearly over in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10. This Bible's ever been open. Pages don't want to come apart. All right, pick it up in. Um, pick this one up in verse. Uh, well, let's just go from verse one. He said, "Bell boweth down, uh, Nebo uh, stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy lo- loaden. Uh, they are burdened to weary beasts." They stoop, they bow down together, they could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are borne by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even your old age, I am he, even uh, to uh, whore hairs uh, will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry you. I will deliver you. To whom will you liken me? Uh, make me equal and compare me, <clears throat> that we will, or that we uh, may be like. That, that they lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance, and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. They bear him upon their shoulder. They carry him, and set him in their pl- in his place. And he standeth from his place, shall he not remove? Yea, <clears throat> one shall cry unto him, uh, yet can he not answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mine, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, uh, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do of my or all my good pleasure or my pleasure. <laughs> you see there sounds like uh, uh, Chick-fil-A, but <laughs> my pleasure, all of my pleasure, the good pleasure that comes from God. And so those things that he's determined to do, they're going to take place. Right. And he's contrasting himself against these false gods that they're looking at. Uh, but again, you see immutability uh, stated there. Uh, the immu- Im- immutability of God's counsel is also displayed in his promises to Abraham. Uh, go with me over to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. And pick it up at verse 12. 
He says there that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited, uh, inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now, that's always just been an amazing thing. I don't know if it's just me. Maybe it's the pastor, too. But when you read that statement, it just shows the greatness of God, right? He could swear by no greater. A man says, hey, I swear on my life and my grandfather's beard that I'm going to do such and such a thing. But God didn't. There's no one. Who else is he going to swear by? He can only swear by himself in his word. Just an amazing statement of his greatness. Verse 14 saying, surely blessing, I will bless thee and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise for men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them the end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And so uh, you, you see there uh, clearly uh, one thing, he's immutable and two things, he doesn't lie, right? <laughs> he can be counted on to do what he says. Now, that's a foreign concept to men where, uh, again, men don't keep their word, right? So you have to uh, sign some kind of a contract or make make some kind of approving of it. Now, the other thing that we need to understand uh, concerning God as it relates to his reckoning is that uh, we are elect in Christ and according to his counsel. And so go with me over to Ephesians chapter one and verse four. And election uh, plays a big part in this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. And in verse 3, it says, uh, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Again, we could go a verse forward, having predestinated us unto the placement of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure from his will. And so you see that uh, statement there again of, of good pleasure here. It's looking at his desirous will and those things that he desired to be carried out as opposed to his determined of will. But in, in verse three here, uh, just kind of recapping this section, you see the current spiritual blessings are based on our position in Christ. And so we're blessed in the heavenlies with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Now, I've pointed it out before, but it bears repeating here uh, when Pastor Dave would sneeze. This is the verse he would point to. Right. If you say bless you, he would say, well, I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Uh, but this word for blessing or, or uh, blessing here is to be well spoken of. It's actually a word used for eulogy, eulogetas. Uh, and the Father has spoken well of the believer through the appropriated works. 
in Christ. And so think uh, again what God is calling to be so. He's saying uh, that you in Christ are well spoken of for all times, just like the sun is. And these are amazing things that can be said of you and I. In verse four, we look at the prior election in Christ. And so the believer was chosen to be in Christ before you did anything, right? Before you even came uh, into being. Top of page 11, we see the believer's election was before the foundation of the world. And so uh, that uh, term there for foundation of the world is a very interesting one. Uh, and we see it uh, listed in those verses that I have down there in your footnotes. I don't want to go to all of those, uh, but just looking at this term uh, before pro. And so uh, pro uh, is a preposition simply meaning before. And the foundation comes from this word catabolase. And figuratively, it combines the preposition kata and the verb balo, which means to cast or to throw, uh, to give the idea of something that is thrown down. And so in that sense, is something that is uh, established. And so uh, before the foundation or the establishment of the world, there is a secondary uh, translation to that word, but it it's quite graphic. I'd rather <laughs> stick with this one. Uh, but you see this idea of something that is formulated, right? Before God establishing something or, or causing something to come into being. And so the lack of the article, too, in this sense, you see an article there in, in the English, but it's not there in the Greek. And so the lack of this article expresses that this is one kind of foundation and not conclusive of all foundations of the world that there have been. And so there are multiple kinds of foundations of the world that could be cited in Scripture. And he's looking at one very specific. Is there a rocket going up right now? Okay. <laughs> this is kind of rumbling there. Um, the, the foundation of the world as it pertains to mankind is stated by, uh, this, by secrets uh, that were formerly kept by God. Go back with me really quickly. I just want to show you the difference between some of these terms for foundation of the world uh, to Matthew 13.35. Didn't they know we were having the Bible Institute at this time? Why, why would they send up a racket? <laughs> and we can pick it up at verse 33. Now it says there in another parable, uh, spake he unto them, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, uh, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal uh, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might uh, be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things uh, which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And so here you see a foundation of the world speaking of these secrets um, and, and the formulation of the world. It's a similar thing over in Matthew 25, 34, so I don't want to go there. Uh, but you do see this uh, foundation of the world looking at the formation of the world system. And if you want to, to look at a, a verse, it kind of you would have to tie some other verses together with it. But a foundational verse for the world system and the formulation of the world system starting after uh, the death of, of Abel. And why does the pastor always point out that 
hey, Satan looked at this and said, boy, I've got to do something to keep this guy, these, uh, this sin nature under control. Well, here's some proof of it over in Luke chapter 11 and verse 50. Luke chapter 11 and verse 50. Uh, and pick it up at at verse 47. And this is one of the, the times that the Lord kind of uh, goes off <laughs> here uh, in his statements. And pick it up at verse, verse 47. He says, Woe unto you, uh, for you build the sepulchres of the prophets, and uh, your fathers killed them. Truly, you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers for they indeed killed them, and yea, uh, build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will slay and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets, which uh, was shed from the foundation of the world. And really here, uh, again, those, those articles aren't there. It's uh, a quality of found foundation of the world may be required of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, who perished between the altar and the temple. Verily, I say unto you, it should be required of this generation. Now, again, you have to tie some other verses together, and that's not our focus here. Uh, but you see this idea here of the world uh, system uh, at play with this, this formulation or foundation of the world. Now, over in John chapter 17 and verse 24, we see the foundation of the world can extend beyond the physical world and into eternity uh, with the formulation of the decree. And so go with me over there to John 17 and verse 24. And let's pick it up in verse 21, verse 19. He says, and uh, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, uh, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, in order that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, and they, uh, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved me, and thou hast... Uh, and has loved me, and thou hast loved me. Uh, verse 24, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, uh, that they may behold my glory, with the, which thou hast given me, uh, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Now, where is he talking about here? He's a, a human being, right, living on this earth, He's pointing way back to before he even came into the world, right? And so that has to extend uh, far back in into the decree. Uh, now, the purpose 
as you look at uh, the election of the believer is uh, the imparted uh, holiness of the believer, uh, the imparted blamelessness of the believer. And I think this was supposed to be a part of, uh, um, yeah, going back to Ephesians chapter one and verse five, I kind of <laughs> broke off from there, but go back with me to, to Ephesians chapter one. My notes were a little disjointed there. But we see the, the purpose of the election of the believer, um, and it's stated here in, in verse uh, uh, 5, um, or excuse me, verse 4. It says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame uh, before him in love. And so you see this imparted uh, holiness to the believer. Uh, and I like to always point to, because it was funny to me when the pastor was, uh, Miss J will remember this, was supposed to go up to D Detroit and preach at my uncle's church. And it's a, a holiness church. So what did they ask? They asked uh, before uh, they would allow him to come and preach if he was holy. <laughs> and uh, my uncle says, well, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> right? He wasn't certain of it. <laughs> but, uh, this idea of holiness is not by what you do and what you accomplish, right? This holiness is imparted to you and I positionally because we are in the Son and because He is holy and set apart. Uh, and it's not, not by His actions, it's because of who He is. Now, the imparted uh, blamelessness of the believer is at view too there. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I look on my life and look at myself in the flesh, I don't feel too blameless, right? There's probably quite a bit of blame that can go around. But as you think of yourself positionally in Christ and see yourself how Christ sees you or how God sees you in Christ, uh, you are indeed blameless. Uh, and the impartation is through uh, the position of the believer. And so as you think through um, what we've been given in our position in Christ, uh, and then in verse five, we see the prior assurance according to the decree for the believer to be placed into Christ. And so it says there, uh, having predestinated us or marked off the bounds, uh, as you see on the board, uh, unto the placement of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good, the good pleasure of his will. Sounds a little bit uh, like what we saw back there in the Old Testament in Isaiah. Uh, and this idea of predestination again here is to mark off the bounds or set boundaries around uh, and the uh, adoption, uh, as it's translated there, is, is the placement of sons. Uh, and we see this preposition ice there into the placement of sons. And I think we went through that when we were uh, looking at our ice prepositions uh, before. But it, it denotes movement uh, from elect in the world and our placement into Christ. Right. So we were. Uh, here somewhere within these borders and God moved us into where we're actually in Christ within those boundaries. And so you see that uh, there. Now, this work comes uh, or work from God comes down from the good pleasure uh, from his desirous will. And so these are things that brought him good pleasure to do uh, in his desirous will. Top of page 12. And we see that the understanding uh, or we should be understanding the imparting uh, or imparted position counted from God the Father. And so uh, what do we have or what constitutes our position? We've been through uh, several of these before, but we want to take a deeper look at it here. And so as you look at it, we've been counted as having died together with Christ. We've been counted as having been buried together with Christ. 
We're counted to have been raised together with Christ and we're counted to have been made alive together with Christ. Finally, we're counted to have been seated at his right hand. Now, some of these verses will jump around because we've been to them before, but we'll just allude to them. Um, But we died together in Christ. Let's look at that first. Uh, Paul speaks of the death and life lived uh, together with the Corinthian saints that is counted in Christ. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. Now, it's very interesting when you think of the Corinthian saints and uh, uh, what a tough group they were, right? And then they're counting these things uh, concerning uh, Paul that other people have said about him and they're really not seeing him in the right way, right? But he never stops seeing them as what they really are, right? Even though they're acting this way, they're still a part of the family of God and they're still in Christ. And everything that he, he talks about with them is from that, that uh, specific premise. But pick it up in verse one. He says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, uh, perfecting holiness In the fear of God, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before, you are in our hearts to die and live with you or together with you. Now, you would think, oh, is he talking about physical life here that that you're going to die together and live together? No, I think this is looking spiritually at their condition, right? Even though they're uh, acting as though they're acting in the flesh, there's the opportunity that at any moment they can account those things that they have in Christ. And guess what? They died together and they lived together in Christ. And so uh, you see this opportunity for them to see things the right way there. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11, we see Paul tells uh, Timothy about the logic of living together. Uh, living in light of spiritual death and life uh, that is counted in Christ. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 11. Um, and pick it up at Verse eight, he says there, uh, be not therefore, uh, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, uh, which he, uh, which was given uh, us in Christ Jesus before the foundation. I'm in the wrong chapter. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in chapter one. <laughs> and I was in first. <laughs> All right, pick it up from verse ten. I was just saying, if you guys were awake. <laughs> verse ten it says, "Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus." With eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we suffer with him, or if we suffer, we shall also reign uh, together with him. If we deny him, he shall also deny us. Um, and so he goes on there. But uh, this idea here of living, this is not life and death, right? <laughs> Someone walks up and, and shoots you. This is you experiencing the life and death that has been provided for you in Christ, right? So you die to who you used to be. You live to who you are now in Christ. Uh, and so we see that there. Also over in Romans chapter six and verse eight, we've been there enough times. I don't want to go back there, but we see Paul describes our death in Christ as leading uh, to life. And then over in Colossians chapter 20 and verse or chapter two and verse 20, uh, Paul describes our counted death in Christ to have separated us from the elementary principles uh, belonging to the world. Let's go over there. Colossians chapter two and verse 20. Now, he, he does a, a great job here of um, talking about how the body operates together and distinguishing this from the things that uh, these Colossian saints were being tripped up about in the, in the world system. Uh, go back just a little to, to verse 11 or verse 10. He says, and you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins uh, of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now it says buried there, uh, but you, you look at this it's co-buried together with him in baptism, wherein uh, also you are co-risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him, out from among dead ones and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against or that was against us uh, which was contrary to us and took out of, took it out of the way nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Uh, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day or in a new moon or in uh, Sabbath days, which are a shadow of those things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward uh, in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his flesh, uh, fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourished, nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, here, here's the, the factual statement. You are <laughs> dead with Christ uh, uh, from the rudiments of the world. Why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, uh, handle not, which all shall perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Uh, and so he goes on there. But th this idea here, uh, the foolishness of the Colossians living after these dictates of men, right? Men have got them off into all of these weird uh, ideologies and worshiping of, of angels and different things that they uh, are doing themselves and not holding to the head of the body, which is Christ. Right. And so what does he say? Uh, 
you're dead together with Christ. And he points back to that uh, identity that we have with Christ's death, which is close the door to the world, right? And all of these things that are in the world, it's only there for you if you uh, choose to activate it. And uh, obviously they were doing that. In chapter three and verse three, we see Paul speaks of the fact that God counts us to be spiritually dead. And so uh, going forward just a bit there, uh, we see our famous verse, verse, if you uh, or since you then be risen together with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections or your reflective thinking on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead. Right. Is he talking to people that are dead? Why is he writing to them if they're, <laughs> they're physically dead? That seems kind of out of place, right? No. They're spiritually dead from who they used to be. You are dead and your life is hid uh, together with Christ where in God. Now, we'll end up coming back to that verse here in a little while as we look at our positions within the persons of the Godhead. But I just want to call attention to the fact there that he says your life is hid together with Christ where in God. So you have a position uh, in God, the father. Now, we see that we're also buried together with him. Uh, back in uh, Romans chapter six and verse three, again, we've been there several times, so we won't go back. Uh, we see the co-burial of the believer is a mechanism that God counts and empowers the believer uh, with in victory over the sin nature. Uh, and then where we just were back in uh, Colossians chapter two, God counts the believer to uh, be circumcised in spirit uh, and buried by spirit baptism. Now, we also, if we've been buried together with Christ, know that we've been raised together with him. Right. And so Christ is not dead. He's alive. Um, uh, there's a, a famous uh, contemporary Christian song. God's not dead. He's surely alive. Well, I would say God was never dead. <laughs> but Christ is not dead. Jesus is not dead. He's surely alive. Uh, and so are you and I in him. Um, but we see this over in Ephesians chapter two and verse six, where we uh, just were uh, a little bit later there. Uh, the giving of faith and the making alive of the believer in Christ has allowed God to reckon the believer as raised together with Christ. So go back with me over to Ephesians chapter two and verse six. And in verse four. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved and has raised us up together and made us to sit uh, together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so you see that idea there of, of being co-raised, right? When he was raised, we were raised. Now, I've uh, posed it to people before. I don't think you have any memories of having been uh, uh, crucified together with Christ, having been buried together with him. I was listening to a, a televangelist the other day. I've been doing this quite a bit as I've been sitting with my, my mother-in-law. She likes to watch these things. And uh, he was, uh, I think I, I stated this guy is imagining things or, or wanting you to visualize things in your head. Uh, and he said he could visualize himself having raised someone from the dead. Well, that was a preposterous thing that he said. But the one good thing that I did get out of it was visualizing yourself as having been crucified together with Christ. Right. 
It's amazing he could say this and then go and say the other thing he said. Having been buried together with Christ, having been risen together with Christ, and having been seated at the right hand of God the Father. Are you guys visualizing that when you when you read these verses? Is this just words on the page or is that something that we truly visualize that we went through the same thing in Christ that he went through? Because God is seeing it. Right. And he's reckoning it to be so. Um, I went off from from verse six. there. <laughs> Got on a tangent. Uh, Colossians chapter two and verse 12. Again, we saw over there that uh, we were raised together with Christ as well. And then it states it again in uh, Colossians chapter three and verse one. Since you've been risen together with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now, Ephesians chapter two and verse five. uh, Again, in in verse five, we see that uh, God has made us alive together. And so it's reckoned that the believer uh, is is alive together in Christ. And then over in Colossians 2 and verse 13, where we were, you see a lot of these overlap. Uh, But God's uh, counting the completed work of Christ to the believer has made us alive together in him. And so what is the the culmination of this? Uh, Just like Christ went through all of these things, ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Guess what? You and I are now seated at the right hand of the Father. And we see that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, there are some things that are shared together with Christ as well as a result of our position in him. And we'll get into this more when we get into possessions. But I, I want to look at some of these co uh, co uh, words or co sharing type words over in uh, Romans chapter eight and verse 17. You see that we are joint heirs together with Christ as a result of of God's reckoning that we are in uh, have been placed together in Christ. So Romans chapter eight in verse 17 and pick it up at pick it up at verse 12. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live for as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are sons of God, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption or some placement whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, interestingly enough, with that statement there, that that Abba means daddy, right? That That is an affectionate term for a father that we're looking at. And so it becomes even more important, the fact that we've been placed into the family of God and have that right uh, to be able to to approach him in that manner. In verse 16, it says the spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the born ones of God. And if born ones, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs together with Christ. If so be that uh, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified uh, together with him. And so this co-glorification, this uh, co or joint heirship together with Christ uh, is kind of contrary to what you would have seen in in uh, homes back in the older days, right? They usually want to have one heir that is the heir of all things. Now it's changed quite a bit in today's time where people are fighting over it. <laughs> this parent dies and he didn't leave behind a will. Now the children are going and, and uh, fighting over what, whatever's left. 
but in Bible times and in these times, there was generally an heir and it had to be the, the, the son that was chosen of that household. Well, we are together heirs with Christ uh, and in that position uh, as a result of what God has reckoned to be so. We are also recipient of recipients of spiritual blessings. Uh, going back to Ephesians chapter one and verse three, uh, we've been there enough times. We won't go there again, uh, but uh, we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, right? And all means all. So, uh, uh, Paul also tells us over in First uh, Corinthians chapter four and verse eight. Uh, and he uses this as a, really an ironic statement because of the way that the Corinthian saints were conducting themselves. But he's saying, hey, we are to co-reign together and you're acting like you've already done it, like you've already arrived. Uh, go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. Now, you guys are running out of page here. I probably should have printed you off another one. But I'll, I'll get it for you. Um, pick it up in verse uh, five. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, uh, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. Uh, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that uh, no one of you uh, um, be puffed up uh, for one against or, or for one against another. For who maketh thou to differ uh, from another? And what hast thou that thou uh, didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as though it has, uh, you have not received it? Uh, now you are full. Now you are rich. Now you have, uh, you have reigned as kings without us. And I would to God that you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think God has set forth the apostles last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. And he goes on to continue on with his ironic statements there. But this is how they're acting and how they're conducting themselves, right? Like they are on the earth reigning as kings and, and Paul is not a part of this, right? And he's saying that oh, I wish that were the case, right? I wish uh, we were enjoying all of the benefits of our salvation right now, but that, that is not <laughs> actually the case. Then over in Second uh, Timothy 2.12, uh, we were there as well, so we don't need to go back again. But we see Paul points out uh, or points to the future reigning uh, with Christ as a reward uh, for suffering in the present times. And so um, that's uh, it is looking at reckoning. And we see this um, these things that are reckoned together uh, by God. And it's important to emphasize and remember the fact that this is what's happening in the mind of the father. Right. We think about these as just being words on the page, but this is a reality in the mind of God the Father. And if we can count those things to be so, it's really going to lead to more success in our Christian lives. And so the next section we'll look at is the uh, position that we have in the persons of the Godhead. And should I start in on this or 
Yeah, I think I'm going to hold this till next week since you guys don't have the page. And we will uh, come back here uh, to the positions, the position in the persons. And then next uh, after that, probably both of these next week, we'll be looking at is the importance of resurrection life as well.